name is Moises. If you haven't met yet, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor here. Uh, thank you for being here with us. Today, we're going to continue the sermon series titled Advocate as we talk about this advocate, this Holy Spirit. This is a sermon series that we began two weeks ago. It was kind of difficult not to, not to go after the moms, but I had to interrupt the sermon series because it was Mother's Day last Sunday. And, you know, <laughs> and we had to honor the moms, and that was important. But um, today, we continue that sermon series. And, um, you know, we're, we're just pretty much with the sermon series diving into this, this, what we're calling this transition in guard that happens when Jesus ascends to heaven. And after his resurrection, he leaves us with what he calls this another advocate. There's this promotion that takes place when Jesus takes the steps into ascending to heaven where he says, someone is going to follow me that's going to do amazing things. It says in the scriptures, it said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. In other words, we find Jesus in this statement promoting that he will leave someone behind for us that will never leave us. The most important passages that we find in this transition are found in John chapter 14 to, to chapter 16. And at least three times you see Jesus confirms that the Holy Spirit is this person and not just this force. He is a person with the mind, a will, emotions. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit speaks and acts. He can be grieved. He can be resisted, ignored, and even sinned against. He comforts us, counsels us, and guides us. Two weeks ago, we began talking about the linking that happens at salvation or the sealing that happens at salvation when we encounter Jesus and we accept Jesus as our Savior. We are linked. We are, we are sealed with this Holy Spirit at salvation. And all of us receive that at salvation, but that doesn't end there. We talked last week about the Spirit being in us. This week we're talking about the Spirit being with us. This could be a little tricky kind of concept to understand and comprehend because we're talking about the Trinity of God, a word that is not found in Scripture, but that is obviously known to be in Scripture and, and the way I've, I've looked at it, and I, I, I want all the theolo theologians in the room to kind of take their hat off for a second. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Bible or, or God with what I'm going to say next. But in a lot of the ways, in order for me to process this concept of the Trinity, luckily I have a unique family dynamic that I've been able to kind of, you know, identify. When I've looked at God the Father, I've always looked at my dad. And I said, this rigid guy who once was best for me, all right, in instruction styles, don't, 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 just hang in there, okay? Just hang in there. <laughs> so I was like, oh, he's not doing this, is he? <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, you got God the Father, and I, yeah, I think of God the Father, and I'm thinking, you know, my dad, you know, this guy that once was best for me and rigid, and then I think of Jesus, I think of my mom, right? Like, she's passionate, die for me, will, will do anything for me, just always looking out for me. And then I think of the Holy Spirit, and I think of Eddie, my brother, he's always with me, you know? Uh, so, and, and, and as silly as that may sound, I've always, I've always in my mind told myself that, that, you know, that's, that's how I've identified the, these functions in my mind and how it works. But the Holy Spirit is the most active and important objective truth 
we have in our faith today. If you are a believer in Christ, he is with you at this moment, and he is the most objective part of your faith today. The, the, the blessing that comes from a life in the spirit should never be taken for granted. It should be something that all of us in the room as believers in Christ should anticipate, go after, experience. You say, well, Moises, if he's already with me, I don't have the choice to take him from, for granted. But the scripture is particular about how it identifies the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And it, it actually has some qualifying terms, in essence, in a lot of ways, in how it talks about the interactions that we have with that spirit. Let's look at John chapter 4, verse 15 to 17. Today is going to feel like a lesson on the Holy Spirit, but it's also going to be very practical. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. You follow that? He will never leave you. It's the same scripture we just read. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father. There's a consequential thing that happens there. Notice a few things about Jesus revealing the Holy Spirit living within us. You don't work to receive the Holy Spirit. You welcome him. But obedience is key. We have to be obedient to God to fully experience what the Spirit of God has to offer us. Okay? He is an advocate, not an assistant. Okay? What's the difference? The assistant is here to help you with your personal agenda. Okay? The advocate is instructing you and helping you when you need help. Okay? My brother Eddie defended me at school all the time. I was bad. You see me being loud right now? I was loud like this in high school. I was that annoying kid. If you see the Christmas videos of me being three, I'm the annoying kid. Yeah, where's my gifts? You know, I'm yelling and I'm like that kid. I was that kid. Well, in school, I was really silly. And misbehave and just went about my life all the wrong ways. Eddie's the most likable guy. He's the, he's the nice guy. He, he's the nicer guy. I've, I've always been this guy, right? That, and I remember like one time I received a call and, and, and Eddie was so disappointed at me. Because <laughs> I, I, I received a call and some guy called my phone and said, I'm bringing my friends and because of what you did and I'm not going to get into the details, we're coming to beat you up. All right? And I said, oh, man, I'm in trouble now. A bunch of guys are coming over to beat me up. And they were like football players of the high school. And I'm like, Ugh. and I've always been little, you know. It was like, it was like, so I, I uh, Eddie was taking a nap <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon. So I wake him up. I'm like, Eddie, um, they're coming to beat me up. And Eddie's like, Moises, what did you do now? Like, it essentially happens to be that they were good friends of my brother, you know, and he had to actually stand up for me and, and help me. And he, he def I didn't get beat up, you know. Um, Eddie did what he had to do. And, and, and we got through that situation without sharing any details. But, you know, <laughs> let's get back to it. Let's get back to it. He, 
It says in verse 26 of that same chapter, the bottom part says, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. He also gives us conviction regarding to sin. In John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of his sin and God's righteousness and of his coming judgment. You know, so, so why would I say he's the most objective part of your life? Because he is here to give us power. He empowers us like we've never experienced a power before. I, I call him the most objective part of our faith because his presence, his involvement is so personal and so tangible that it cannot be contradicted. Okay? See, the Bible talks about this linking or this sealing that happens at salvation, but it also refers to an overflow of the Spirit that happens. A baptism that takes place in further a life-changing power that blesses us and operates in favor like nothing we have ever experienced before. I was always called to preach this gospel. My dad is a pastor. I was the PK that I was told, you're going to be a preacher one day. Okay? As a child, that means nothing to me. Okay? As I grow into my faith, and I remember it like today when I was first baptized by the Holy Spirit, I was about 17 years old in a camp in Poconos, New Jersey. I remember holding hands with my youth pastor and another friend of mine as the worship songs were about to start. This wasn't stage. This wasn't like the Holy Spirit homecoming. Who's ready? No. It was, we were just ready to worship. We get there and something comes upon me that overwhelms my life. And I begin to experience something I've never experienced before. 20 minutes later, I had these chains on me because I thought I was really cool. All right? They weren't like the meaningful ones. They're like the chains that I was walking around like, you know. Uh, it's a part of my life I don't want to remember. But I'm, I'm sitting there, and after 20 minutes of this event, I, I wake I, I not wake up. I, I open my eyes. I ended up in a chair crying my heart out. And when I looked down, the chains that I had on me were literally shattered and broken on the floor. I remember that moment like right now. I opened my eyes. I remember I was in a chair like this. And when I, the first thing I did when I opened my eyes, I see the chains on the floor broken off of me. No one yanked my neck. Something broke. Something had to be removed. If it wasn't for that experience, I would have never continued to walk into the faith that I'm walking into today. I would have never answer the call of God over my life. It was a life-changing experience that wasn't just a one-time experience. It was an experience that continued. You might say, Moises, I wear chains. Yes, but those chains don't represent what those chains represented to me. There was bondage in my life that needed to break that day. And through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was able to experience that. Why is that experience so important? Obviously, we can say because number one, there's a personal benefit to all of us from it. And number two, there are benefit to others. Shelley referred to it. I'm sitting here in the front row. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this constant concern about passing the spiritual experiences on to the next generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to verse 9, it says, listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to those commands that I'm giving you today. Look at this. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to, the, to your hands and wear them on the forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. Your story is not just for you. It's a benefit to you personally, but it's going to be a benefit to others. I always say that one of the most impactful things that happened in my life is not when my dad told me to pray. It's when I would walk in the room and see my dad praying. You follow me? That had more impact in my life than anything else. He could tell me to pray before I go to bed, just like he could tell me to brush my teeth before I go to bed. But when I would just open the door and I say, Dad, I'm sorry, and he's sitting there praying early in the morning, and he looks at me and he said, no, you're good. I'm just going to be here praying. Now the moment is super awkward. I forgot what I was going to do in the first place. George Wood said it like this. How can we guard the spiritual deposit that has been entrusted to us? He asked. How can we give to our children and grandchildren the truth and experiences which we have been blessed with? He said, you must pass on the full bucket. Not holding anything back. You may say, okay, boys, as your chains were broken and you were baptized and all this thing happened. That is my story. That is, what is one of the most objective truths I have for you today is my experience. No one can take that away from me. That's what I experience. That's what God has done in my life. And I won't stop telling it. Label me as crazy. But those experiences have been beneficial to me and could be beneficial to others. My mom told me stories about my dad as he pastored. She said to me some crazy things. My mom told me a story one time of my dad preaching at a tent revival in Puerto Rico. All right? where it started to rain and it got really bad. And she said that after worship practice, my dad stood up and said, in the name of Jesus, the rain stops now. Some wild stuff, right? And my mom said, Moises, the rain stopped. I'm like, mom, you're crazy. I wasn't there. Is there truth? Is there objective experience of what God has done in their lives? They are beneficial to other people. I don't know that if I'm in the next tent revival, if those things ever come back, if I'm going to be telling the, the rain to stop and, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get encouraged and, and at that moment do something like that based on the story. But the stories that have been told to me have been passed on are powerful. The most, you know, one of the most powerful aspects of my sermons and when I draw the most attention is when I tell powerful stories about what has happened to me personally. I could give you theological explanations, read you verses, but when I say, back in the day, this happened to me, everybody's like, Whoa. with my, with young adults, with students at the youth group, soon as you start telling a personal story, people identify with it. There's a baptism and an overflow that every believer should experience. It's like an enhancement to their personal faith and the faith of other people connected to them. Now, you're like, Moises, but this baptism thing, I get it. What is the greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit? 
is that he's the greatest evangelist. The Bible says he will convince the world of their sin. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them to him. We get it. Salvation and that conviction of that sin, that evangelism outreach that the Holy Spirit does in our personal life is the greatest miracle. It's the most powerful aspect of our spirit. You and I are part of an end-time family of God. And we will be instrumental in seeing the greatest harvest of souls in God's kingdom. We are in no position to go in it halfway with God. It's got to be an all-in mentality. It's got to be an all-in mentality. Not with the faith that ignores what it can't understand, but one that is willing to give up self and all the things that we think about ourselves to an all-powerful, all-knowing, mighty God that can take over any situation and make it better than we ever anticipated it to be. You know? So what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a spiritual experience following the salvation where a follower of Jesus is immersed or filled with the Holy Spirit. The New Testament refers to this experience as a natural experience for those who desired all that God had to offer in their lives, an evidence of some sort of true salvation and change. Let's, let's read what Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by who? The Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. This was so critical in the early church in Scripture that they knew. And when they found out that a Christian who had been saved but not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, they sent spiritual leadership to go and pray for the person. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14 to 17, let's read this. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you it's here. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they, said, they sent Peter and John. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. For they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Look at this. Then Peter and John lay hands on them. Upon these believers. And they received the Holy Spirit. There's a concept here. We're not talking. We say we're in Acts chapter 2 church. This is Acts chapter 8. It continued. It didn't end. We see it in Acts chapter 2, obviously, that this is when the experience took um, place for the first time in, in an evidence, physical way. We, 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 as you know, most of you know, we, we're in Assemblies of God Church, and, and we stand on this doctrinal basis of these 16 fundamental truths. And number 8 says this, the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, referencing chapter 2 of the book of Acts. This baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed for the first time by the initial physical sign of speaking 
in this other language as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It says in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, what we believe is that the speaking in tongues in this instance is the same essence, it's the same in essence as the gift of tongues, but it's also being used for a different type of purpose in this scenario. Let's read 1 Corinthians because there's a lot to it. One thing I don't, I, don't, I don't like is that we tend to take the Spirit, you know, just because in Acts chapter 2, this was the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can't narrow it down to say that's the only thing the Spirit could do in our lives. You following me? It's almost like a concept of like the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but not limited to. That's like using this idea that if the first miracle of Jesus was turning water into wine, that would be the only miracle he could perform. Follow me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, and verse 28 says this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To, not, to, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret it, interpret what's being said. Now, verse 28 says, here are some of the parts God has appointed to the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership. Those who speak in unknown languages. This is a biblical principle that we find throughout Scripture constantly being spoken about. You know, I, I ask myself, why in the world would speaking in tongues be the initial evidence? Why would God have chosen to say, this is what I'm going to lead with? You know? And, and while we don't know what that is for sure, what we know is that the tongue is the unruliest member of the body, according to James. And, and then when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, even the most unruliest member of your body shows an evidence of submission to Christ. And we know a ton of people that need that. We can name them out. <laughs> people that need that thing under control. I mean, come on. The point of it all is, is that this gift and baptism should be something that we seek at whatever level we're being required to seek. Not something we ignore because... We don't understand it. Tongues is the initial evidence as we see in chapter 12, verse, uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He is not limited to it. We should pursue it no matter what. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a concept here, a benefit that as believers, you and I can experience if we're open to it. 
Too often we have reduced the baptism in the Holy Spirit to a one-time event when Paul is saying, keep on being filled with the Spirit. What is often misinterpreted about this is frankly one of the most difficult things to preach this message is that everyone here who doesn't understand where I'm coming from with this has either had a bad experience or is waiting for me to explain again why was the bad Beethoven played. If I go about this experience of the Holy Spirit wrongly in my life, I'm a man. You can't blame Beethoven for it. I played it wrong. So because of our bad experiences, our lack of understanding, we shy away from it completely saying, uh-uh, that's crazy. Look at what they're doing. That's not for me. You see it? Man, no way. I'm showing you biblical explanation that talks about it. That says you should pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit. So hit a reset button and tell yourself, well, maybe what I have seen is kind of off. But biblically, we can see proof that there is something happening here. Don't judge this thing by the bad experiences that you've had and turn away from it completely. You know, another thing is that people take this Holy Spirit message and think of it as an optional choice, like an added ingredient through their faith, you know? Dabble a little bit more of that in my faith. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a command, not a suggestion. I know that sounds aggressive. And I, it's a command, not a suggestion, but don't confuse that with salvation. You know, the, the, the thief on the cross kind of trumped that all for all of us. He, he didn't take communion. He wasn't baptized in water. He didn't speak in tongues. No. He said, Jesus, consider me this very night. So all, all the regulations with salvation got kind of kicked out of the way with the thief on the cross. Right? But that doesn't mean that the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't something we should pursue. And that does not mean that it's just a suggestion as an added ingredient to our faith. Can you balance with that? So, although it's not necessarily something that keeps you from spending eternity in heaven, this does make it less. This doesn't make it less of a command from God. Listen to what Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says. It says, once he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. He didn't tell them, you should really consider this. You know, think about it, pray about it, get back to me. He commanded them to stay and wait for the promise. Jesus knew that for us to effectively accomplish the great commission of making other disciples, we needed a supernatural advocate. He gave us the great evangelist the world has ever seen. He is literally the super to our natural. Based on the list of things that I went through in 1 Corinthians, he gives us the ability to do numerous things in that power. 
Friends, if you're sitting here today and all you can think about is that Facebook video, those people acting crazy in a church as they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to reconsider. I'm not justifying behavior. I'm just telling you that biblically, there's a concept here that all of us as believers should really seek to follow our faith. That's all I'm saying. You know, so how can we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You have to create an atmosphere of expectation. This is probably one of the most difficult things to do. I grew up a Pentecostal kid. It was easy for me. I saw the crazy because I was a little kid. So to me, it was like, hmm, that's just how it works, you know. But if you're, if you're not from that background, you know, of you, all you heard was negative and experienced negative things about it, you know, how, how do we do it? Well, we do it by praising and expressing our love towards him in an audible way. The, those who were first baptized in Acts chapter 2, guess what? They spend time praising God while they were waiting on the promise. They sat there and praised God and waited with the promise. You know what else happened? When they spoke in tongues, everybody heard them. They could be heard. They're like, that's when it gets crazy. That's what happened. In Acts chapter 2, verse 6, it says, When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. It was loud. Making this an experience for us that we should anticipate and expect. Not so we could check in, check off our list. No, God wants to bless you with the baptism as a gift. Not something that you should go about in your faith as a checklist item. You guys with me? A little bit, maybe. Guys, the miracle is not in the speaking, but in the words that are spoken. In other words, Jesus will miraculously make you speak, but when you do speak, he will allow his, your spoken language to be one that is heavenly based. It's meant to build our faith. It's meant to benefit you. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the beginning part of verse 4 says. It says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. We all want strength. Jude 1.20 says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. And how do we do that? Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. You could ignore all these verses and say, ah, no, because I saw that one time. Somebody tried to do that at a church, and it got crazy. It's not for me. Paul actually testifies that he prayed in the spirit more than others. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, he said. You're like, okay, good for you, Paul. So what we see here is through the prophet Joel, which was the fulfilled prophecy that we see in Acts chapter 2. In the day of Pentecost, Peter himself, God promised to pour out his spirit when we talk about this pouring out of the Spirit, we could compare this to rain falling from heaven. This is what Acts chapter 2 verse 17 says. In the last days, 
God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. So I have a question for you this morning. If anything, if we consider this pouring out to be some sort of rain, pour out of water, I would ask you this morning, what is our spiritual water source as believers? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not your own efforts. It's not your smart strategies. It's not techniques of growing a church or your own self-boasting disciplines that we put over ourselves. The best spiritual water source is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in all people. That is the greatest revival of our time. Do you know that this world hungers for supernatural, right? Even non-believers, they seek it. We were all created for eternity. We don't necessarily only want to live forever because we're selfish. We want to live forever because we were created that way. To spend eternity on one side or the other. In heaven or in hell. You're like, oh my gosh, he's holding a billboard right now in the, the stoplight. Like, you know, repent or burn. Or burn. But you see it. You see it in people's, people, you know, I, I always say that the, the people with the biggest faith are the atheists. I believe that wholeheartedly. It takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Because they go outside and they have to ignore so much. They have to step out in this world and say, yeah, that all came together. I don't know how, but there's nothing out there. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. When we, were, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live inside us, and he serves as Christ's mark of ownership in our lives. If you're saved, you've experienced part of the Holy Spirit as he convicted you of sins and turns your attention towards Jesus. But there's more activity that goes on than that. There's a continuation of that relationship that comes with power and effectiveness. He drew us to salvation. He is not limited only to that, as big as that may be. God wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit to immerse you or flood you in the Spirit. And when he does, the Holy Spirit will draw you into a daily, ever-growing relationship with Jesus. He will also give you incredible power to live as a witness to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I say it again, I would not be standing before you today. I would not have the opportunity to answer the call. The chains that needed to break broke. It's not more discipline. It's not more rules. It's not more regulations in your life. We're kind of impractical a lot of times. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I just can't. We're, we tend to be kind of impractical in our lives a little bit. Okay? I've, I've heard this analogy, and I think it's so fitting. Because there's, there's ways to empty a bucket of water with dirty water. There's different ways to empty a bucket. We treat our lives the same way. We feel like there's something within us that needs changing, and, and we take it upon ourselves. Right? A lot of the New Year's resolutions. We do these many things. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be nicer to my wife. 
going to be better with my kids. I'm going to spend time. And we, we just kind of line those things up as these goals that we do. And we let these things be representatives in our lives of what we want to do. And we're more disciplined. You know, we, we meet ourselves hard. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to be better tomorrow, you know. And we just kind of tell ourselves, we, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, we're, and what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to wake up earlier and go to the gym. Balkan season, baby. <laughs> and we just go about life with this concept. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do this. So we take the bucket of dirty water and we shake it. We kick it and get rid of the dirty water. And we try our best efforts to do what we know to do by ourselves to make things better. We force ourselves into these narrow windows trying to become this person that we feel we need to be in the moment. Hmm. Then I, I th think to myself, what if, the, what if the approach was a little bit different? Would you agree with me that a little bit more God is never too much? Sometimes a little more light is what does it. You know, what happens when you put something bigger in a bucket of dirty water, what starts to happen? The stuff starts coming out. So while your personal focus may be on the things that need to change about your life and the things that you need to personally overcome in your life and the things that you're struggling to get over, maybe... The concept is putting a little bit more light into it. Maybe instead of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I'm going to wake up earlier tomorrow, you should be saying, how much more of God can I get? If I put something big in that bucket filled with dirty water, it gets empty. And there's only room for that thing. That's bigger, stronger, and empties it and makes it nicer and better and clean. And all I did was pour something better into it. And maybe your life personally is something that you're battling. And God is saying, I have a baptism that could change your life. A little bit more light, anyone? If we just let this be within our lives, then maybe those things that we struggle with the most just instantly start coming out. And while we shift our focus in just wanting just simply more of God, the things that we thought were big deals in our lives get smaller and smaller and tiny and insignificant. But instead of kicking the bucket around and fighting all life, trying to shake this thing and force the dirtiness out of it, Look at God for more light because he's got more to offer. If I'm going to say to you anything this, this morning is that if you've experienced God up to this point, there's more where that came from. There's a lot more where that came from. Some of you are like, I've experienced the power of God. We need to continue to experience the power of God. It's not a one-time instance. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the prophecy of the book of Joel was fulfilled. 
And then we found countless chapters after and after and after where we continue to hear this constant concept of pursue the Holy Spirit, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are like, who accepted God? Here we go. Let's lay hands on them so they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a secret here that's meant to be more light. I really want you to consider this this morning. It's my objective truth, and it changed my life forever. Simply ignoring it, all you're doing is saying, I want part of God. You're saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. We're going to put you on the shelf, and I got it from here. The Holy Spirit is saying, I'm with you. I'm your advocate. You have access to me now. But I feel weird because I don't understand how that works. That shouldn't keep you away from pursuing it. Because one thing I can guarantee in this room, we all need more light. We all need some more super to our natural. We're natural people. I like, I like how people criticize Adam and Eve. Because we tell ourselves constantly, we say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look at Adam and say, come on, man. <laughs> really, bro? You could have ate anything. <laughs> you know we would have done the same thing? We're just as evil. We would have made the same choice. We need more light. And there's a Holy Spirit baptism that's available to us all. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I'm, I'm, I know this is like a, like a bold leap of faith that I'm, that I'm taking here uh, this morning. But I know we all consider to have a little bit more light. And, and I want to I wanna end the service a little bit different this morning. Um, as we wrap things up, I, I just want to take the scriptural guidance of, of Peter and John, and, 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 and I want to give us all the opportunity to say, hey, if I need a little bit more light, I need, I need baptism, I need, I need a little bit more of this, what, what God has to offer for me this morning. I don't want to pass this moment and just let you go home and reflect on this. I want to give you the opportunity to take on this. I literally asked the worship team to come up here and sing another song for us. But please, please hear me. I didn't make this up. We spent hours, we could spend hours in scripture going through all the differences and all the explanations and all the things. Don't come up to me with some bad example of some bad Beethoven that was played. Give God the opportunity for more light because you need it. I'm going to ask you, as we have all the heads bowed in the room, eyes closed, I have prayer partners all around the room ready to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm going to ask you right where you're at. If you want more light, if you want to say, God, I may not understand this fully, 
but I want a touch from your spirit. I want to receive this flooding presence that you have to offer that is life-changing. may not comprehend it fully, but I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. And those prayer partners around the room need to be looking around. And I want to pray with you. There's two people. Anyone else? Three. Four. This is a bold move. I get it. But there's more light. There's an all-powerful God ready to add His super to your natural. So don't let this moment pass you by. Holding on to the seat in front of you isn't going to get it done. Waiting for the moment to just get by isn't going to do it. Allowing God to really be part of this moment with you, to show you how He has more to offer, we'll do it. So if you're that person, lift your hand and keep it up. Keep it up so we can see it around the room. We're going to be praying for you, okay? We got another person. Guys, if you're in the room and you're a leader, I need you praying right now for those people that are lifting their hands in the room. Please. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People are in the room are asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They want to experience this, and we're going we're gonna to give them the opportunity. The rest of us, let's worship. I'm going to go and pray for some folks. As the worship team leads us in this song, you continue to worship and allow God, pray for the people, and allow God to do some amazing things this morning. Amen? Let's worship. <laughs> 